friends, and welcome to In the Know with Exonify, your 25-minute deep dive into the biggest topics impacting the workplace experience today. I'm JD, the Chief Learning Architect at Exonify, and today we're going to solve what feels like a big workplace mystery. What do L&D people actually do? That's what we're talking about today, because I don't know about you, I've been struggling to explain what I do for a living to people outside L&D for like 15 years. And it's always fun to hear friends and family try to explain my job to people. Because sometimes I'm a teacher, sometimes I'm an IT person, sometimes I'm in marketing, and hopefully some of you out there might, might know what that feels like. So if you're joining us live on LinkedIn right now, I'd like to know, how do you describe to people outside the profession what you do? So if people come up to you at a party and they ask, you know, what do you do? How do you reply? Because it can be hard to put into simple terms all the different types of jobs L&D and HR pros do to help people build knowledge, develop skills, and improve their performance. So today, we're going to explore some of the less familiar roles within the modern L&D function. We're going to be joined by Tracy Cantu, Senior Manager of Talent Operations at Atlassian, who's going to share her perspective on what it takes to build a successful L&D team, as well as a successful career in today's workplace. But before we say hello to Tracy, let's take a look at our feature story. One of my favorite l &E books is The Accidental Instructional Designer by Cami Bean, because the title pretty much describes my entire learning and development career. I didn't go to school to be an L&D professional. I've actually never really taken a class in any of this stuff. Actually, that's not entirely true. I did take a class called Training and Development during my MBA, but I spent most of the time trying not to correct the professor on topics like learning styles and things like that, since I had already been doing this stuff for more than five years at this point. And nowadays, I host my own talk show. Hi, everybody. I speak at industry events all over the world, and I'm publishing a book on workplace learning strategy with ATD this November. Pre-order your copy today. So in the immortal words of Talking Heads, how did I get here? Well, here's my two-minute origin story of how I became the chief learning architect of a learning technology company that supports more than 3 million frontline employees around the world within some of the world's most iconic brands. And for me, it all started right here. That's my high school, just outside of Philadelphia. No, we did not have central air conditioning, but what we did have was a school newspaper. And that's actually where I picked up the writing skills that I still use today, including in my new book, that's available for pre-order right now. Then I moved to Orlando to attend the University of Central Florida, really because of the pond you see on screen there. And that's actually where I got over my lifelong fear of public speaking. And because I focused on radio, television production, I picked up some AV production skills that are gonna come in super handy a little bit later in our story. After that, while I was in college, actually, I was a movie theater manager. So I didn't start in L&D or HR within my career. So my workplace perspective is actually shaped by operational roles, which I think becomes extremely critical when I eventually shift from operations into behind the scenes roles. After a few years in movie theaters, I moved over to Disney, first in operations where I did lots of interesting things. And as you can see on screen, wore some even more interesting things. But then I transitioned into L&D at Disney where my media production background and public speaking skills helped me design, deliver, and develop training sessions for pretty much every line of business at Disney. But most of what I learned at Disney then went out the window when I left the company to oversee learning technology and development for a contact center operation. When people can't get off the phone, 
The idea of learning in the flow of work takes on an entirely new meaning. So it was this job that really forced me to rethink my entire approach, especially the role technology can play in L&D. And that's also where I met Exonify, first as a customer and now as a member of the team for the last six plus years. So that's a quick summary of how I got here. Lots of figuring it out as I went, plenty of reading, plenty of sharing, plenty of self-study, and loads of experimentation. So what about you? How does your origin story compare to mine? How did you chart the path to where you are today in your work in L&D, HR, or another part of the profession? I may not have planned to get into L&D when I was growing up. I never asked, answered that question as a kid with L&D as my response. I think I wanted to be a baseball player at some point. But I also wouldn't say that I'm totally an accidental L&D pro because what I've always recognized and what I believe is important is the concept of connection at work, bringing together those who know with those who need. And connection is still the basis of how I approach my work today. It's the core message I share in my upcoming book, now available for pre-order, and it's the foundation of how I believe L&D needs to function in the workplace moving forward. So that's my story as well as our feature story. Today's feature story was brought to you by the big list of cool L&D jobs. As a longtime L&D and HR professional, I do understand the kind of impact economic uncertainty can have within our profession. So that's why I'm curating a list of new L&D job openings every day on LinkedIn to help out anyone who may be looking for that next opportunity. So be sure to follow me on LinkedIn to check out my daily big list of cool L&D jobs, including specialty lists by region and industry. And of course, let me know if there's anything I can ever do to help you find that next role. But now I'm excited to welcome our in the know guest, Tracy Cantu. Tracy is a talent enablement leader focused on digital transformation and delivering measurable business results. She has spent her career at the intersection of employee performance, operations, and technology, where she is seen as a trusted advisor and peer to business leaders. Tracy has 15 plus years of experience leading learning and HR teams in various industries from aviation, insurance, government, retail, big tech, and finance. She's also, this is where I add something to her bio she doesn't know is coming. She's also one of the most honest and forthright voices in the learning profession, I must say. So Tracy Cantu, you're in the know with Exonify. Hi, everyone. Thanks again so much for being with us today. So you heard my really quick L&D origin story. So as someone who's worked with a variety of noteworthy organizations in the field, can you give us your 60-second tour of your career and help us understand how did you land in L&D? Absolutely. Um, I went to college to be in education. I was going to be a high school teacher. I did a year of student teaching and said, eh and changed my mind and said I should be a college student for the rest of my life. But while I was doing that, I had a job as a frontline customer service agent, and I'm gonna date myself with Continental Airlines. Um, I absolutely loved it, it was fantastic. Um, and I became the station trainer because I like to help everybody do their job better. Um, and I would also help our corporate office with onboarding and any large class or coverage they needed as time went on. And then 9-11 happened and uh, Continental furloughed a lot of pilots, but we brought them on as customer service agents. So they brought me on as a regional training manager um, to help train those furloughed pilots to be customer service agents. So I spent about 10 years in commercial aviation and I took an early out, you know, I got to retire in 2008 and over the next 10-ish years, I worked across L&D and variety of roles 
from content developer, curriculum developer, e-learning developer, LMS admin, senior leader uh, across var a variety of industries. And now I'm, I'm at Atlassian and I'm a senior manager of talent ops. So this is a, a nice stretch and a nice growth opportunity for me. Awesome, awesome origin story. Better than Wolverine, I must say, if anyone saw that film. Um, and I think it's it's always interesting to talk to people in the L&D and HR professions, especially those who kind of come from the inside and understand what it's like kind of day to day within that operation to kind of evolve to take on these different types of roles, and especially in your case, across a variety of different types of industries. So if I had to summarize your career, I might, in like one line, I might say, been there. <laughs> but when we kind of look at the broader industry right now, there's the, obviously this big shift happening in the talent marketplace. People continue to look for job changes, switching between industries to find right fit roles. And at the same time, there's also that increasing kind of question around economic uncertainty. We're obviously seeing layoffs in different uh, industries and sectors right now, hiring slowdowns in some other places. So I'm curious for people who are maybe considering that next position in L&D, what do you think is the biggest misconception people have about what it means to work in L&D, especially among people looking to join the industry, uh, including those who might be transitioning out of education or teaching positions? I'm going to show my nerd here um, that we're all content. Like in my brain, I think of, because I was a history major, uh, I think of the scriptoriums of old where monks with their quill and vellum constantly putting out books. Like now it's us with our mice and our articulate. And that's what people have this Im image of is that we're constantly pumping out vast quantities of content for the bill business that everybody loves and treasures and that's that's maybe like 30% of the work we do. Um, there's so much more, it's so rich and it's so deep and it's a profession that's really coming into its own and maturing. And the business is really starting to understand the value of it for retention and strategic growth. Um, so I would say to folks doing that is don't limit yourself to the concept of content because it's the loudest voice out there. So what I hear you say is if you're looking for that kind of route in, instructional designer, content developer, media developer is a, is a, an important role. It's a way it place to start, but it's not the only place to start. And it's, that also I think includes the kind of delivery roles too, right? Because if you ask people, you know, what types of jobs do learning and development people do? They might directly connect to their experience. Well, well, I see content and I also have been in a classroom and someone's been delivering training. So the facilitator role is a little familiar as well. So I'm curious, what are some of those less familiar roles that organizations have to consider as they're building a modern L&D function that also may represent opportunities for people looking to get into the space? One of the things that I've seen come up a lot lately and I've really become to value over the past few years is change management and comms within the space. Um, the system or the product will not manage change or drive behavior change as much as we'd like to think. So really employing folks with change management experience and good communications and good hooks are really fantastic. Um, program managers to really manage the full life cycle of things like DEI onboarding, leadership, culture, the, those big crown jewel programs, um, really important. Uh, operations, 
to manage the logistical, tactical deployment of everything that is going on. Um, data, 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 data. That one should be obvious to anybody. Um, and then learning technology. Um, plug in for myself here. It is one of my favorite spots. But as machine learning, AI, and third-party tools really strengthen there's so much we can automate and simplify and learning technology helps us do that. So there's a real role for people who love tech and really want to enable people to do their best work in L&D. That's a great short list. And I think the two I really want to highlight are the first thing you mentioned around change management, because if we talk about things like wanting to help people think differently about the role of learning at work, the seat at the table thing. I have a really hard time saying seat at the table without throwing air quotes in the air. But the, the idea that we want to be part of the conversation, part of the decision so that we can properly enable people, there's a huge change management initiative and kind of influence initiative there. Because I always say people have a certain relationship with training, right? They went to yeah. school and they think it looks a certain way or they had a training program at one point at another job and they expect that the next training program is going to look similar. And if we want anyone in the organization to align with some of the more modern practices we might be talking about, it, it's really an ongoing change management initiative and influence project and not just, you know, saying, I have a new idea and expecting people to lean into that. Um, and then the second one being technology, like you said, right in your backyard. So I'm curious, when we say learning technology or, or you know, technology in this space, it can mean a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And you have people who work at different types of companies. So some organizations have a lot of resources, a lot of different technologies in their ecosystem. In some cases, you have smaller teams with less resources. So how do you think an L&D team should kind of think about their level of capability and, and how they need to build out that technology capability um, beyond just people who maybe administer an LMS? I'm going to give the most people team answer ever. It depends. Um, it really depends on your current tech stack and your business needs. If you're in hyper growth, hyper scale, doing lots of M&As, mergers and acquisitions, um, your needs are gonna be very different than someone who is a small but mighty company who delivers consistently and profitably. So you have to evaluate the complexity and the amount of programs you're gonna have to deliver. Um, I always tell people, go into technology with an enablement mindset, not a sparkly mindset. What are we enabling the business to achieve by bringing this tool in? If you can't answer that, you probably don't need that tool. Um, so when I think of like building versus administration too for a business, my thought is, is you have folks who can administer. We all have LMS admins for the most part. and they, they do wonderfully. But like when you have to start building that tech stack, I think of it in an ROI. Am I spending more time and money contracting and sourcing someone to help me? And if so, is it worthwhile for me just to get a full-time equivalent in FTE in-house to actually do this? But until that scale tips, I think for businesses, it's the smart choice to contract in the beginning until you actually have the demand for a full-time employee because there's nothing worse than having somebody bored on staff. Completely true. And I think the big piece there is making sure you've got the, the capacity and the capability to look at technology from a strategic perspective, not just an execution perspective. Because 
I think we all know how fast technology changes at the same time, how a lot of things don't, right? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of terms flying around. LMS versus LXP versus this versus that for these versus the other. So being able to really understand the nuances of what's available to you and, and to keep pace with that, given that people who are executing within organizations, they've got jobs to do. They've got problems to solve. They've got stakeholders asking for help. So you have to keep your focus there to deliver value. But at the same time, innovation continues, right? And it's, it's really critical to understand what's possible today and how do we need to strategically build our own technology roadmap and not just move at the whim of the systems we're using today, understand well, what else is out there and where's the right time where the technology fits or meets that problem we're trying to solve. And it's the right time, like you said, to make that investment, to have the right resource, to bring in the right systems and to structure that ecosystem. Yes. So uh, around, around kind of a, a similar theme, we talked mm -hmm. about different teams of different sizes. Yeah. So uh, some people, like in, in my case, I was part of a, a large several hundred person L&D team that supported tens of thousands of people. And then in my next role, I had maybe 40 people and we supported 10,000 people. So some people are mighty, like you said, departments of one. Some people have a lot of resources. So how can smaller L&D functions who maybe they support a lot of people in a big company, but they don't have a lot of uh, L&D resources, how can they achieve similar outcomes when maybe they can't? employ a lot of specialty roles so they can't have uh, the dedicated technology strategist or the dedicated data analyst and those types of jobs long-term planning is the one and it's so scary thinking three to five years out because you're like i can barely keep up with six months um, but i always tell people you don't have to actually like broadcast it across the company just in your team of one, your team of three, get it out of your head, get it on paper. What does it look like? What are the business challenges coming up? Think of like, what's the scale of it? Are you going to add more employees, new lines of business, both? And what does L&D need to do to make sure that the employees we have can adapt to these changes and that we can support the growth and bring on new people who can be quickly proficient and successful? So put it on paper, see where your opportunities are, because if you think longer term in those three to five year roadmaps, it gives you the opportunity to look at and be like, where do I need to start upskilling today to be ready for tomorrow? Especially as a team of one, because you're never ever going to go wrong upskilling yourself. Um, your career opportunities are always going to be bountiful if you're keeping up with the business and the profession. Um, but you're also serving your own company at the same time, which is fantastic. Um, Challenge yourself to see where you can automate and simplify processes starting today so that way you free up some bandwidth for future initiatives. And then be candid with yourself and say, are there places in this where I need to start making a business case that I'm going to have to get a contractor in to optimize our LMS, LXP, whatever, to automate and put those updates in that we've just held off for so long? Or do I need to justify another headcount? And it gives you that time and it lets you have that forward thinking. And it's so much easier when you're not dealing with a fire, but actually preventing the fire from starting. And what I especially took away <coughs> from that is making sure you've dedicated at least some capacity and some kind of brain power towards, given all the things we're facing, but towards kind of ongoing process improvement and ongoing skill development inside the L&D function. Because on a recent episode with John Hinchliffe, we talked about the fact that the idea 
that L&D professionals often don't make time for their own learning and development is one of the worst jokes in the profession. And I think it's a great <coughs> part of this conversation is building that, that talent and capability needed internally, like you said, from a long view, requires a constant dedication to uh, skill development as well. Yeah. So I want to get your thoughts on another kind of hotly contested topic when it comes to L&D industry expertise. So many job descriptions include a significant number of years within that industry. So maybe we're hiring for someone in an L&D role in uh, retail, and the job description may say 10 years retail experience in addition to the learning and development background required for the job. So from your perspective, would you rather hire someone who's been in the industry for 20 years, so in retail for 20 years, but has maybe a little bit less L&D experience, or someone who has deep L&D experience, but maybe has very little or no experience in that particular sector? People problems are universal. It's not industry specific. L&D very rarely tackles industry specific work. That's where the nuances come in. And I will always take somebody with deep experience and a deep understanding of the employee life cycle of where those critical moments in the employee flywheel and how we have to enable success because onboarding, manager development, product understanding, upskilling, reskilling, knowledge drains at exits, they're the same across every industry. It's the nuances inside that that really determine how quickly you move and how much you have to do um, gaining trust when you start in a new industry. But personally, I have found that having a variety of industries as a background, I can approach problems from a variety of angles that if I was only in that industry, I might not have thought of those different perspectives and be able to bring that fresh vision in to kind of add to the conversation and dialogue. Yeah, it really helps you focus on, like you said, the commonalities of human experience and the kind of underlying principles and practices of what we do to help people get better and maybe break out of that kind of, this is how we do it here. This is how this industry handles things when maybe there's opportunities from other places that people haven't seen because they might be relying a little bit too much on exactly what their neighbors are doing rather than looking outside of the box and saying, oh, there's great benefits from these practices being applied in a completely different industry. But the commonality is it's all about helping people get better and have a better experience. So, so great insight there. And my last question for you is kind of going back to the origin story. So you've gone from a training specialist job at a small insurance company to L&D business partner in a major grocery chain to senior manager talent operations at one of the world's most respected software companies over the course of 15 years. So from your perspective and in your experience, what does it take to build an L&D career that spans so many different kinds of organizations, industries, roles? Can I build you up a little bit more with that question? Caffeine, lots of it, always recommend it. Um, you have to have a healthy tolerance for risk and change. Um, and I really credit commercial aviation for that. Um, same goal every day, different day every day. <laughs> it was crazy and I loved it. Um, big picture thinking to focus on those universal people problems. And with that, creating frameworks that really help you start tackling those those people problems immediately so you can start making positive impact because 
while the nuances are different, if you have frameworks to start working off of, like, let's tackle onboarding, here's the questions I would ask to deep dive into such things and whatnot. Um, same for tech and everything like that. It allows you to just copy and paste. I, uh, that makes it sound so bland, but it's not. Um, it's really invigorating to see those work successfully each time. But yeah, strong frameworks, big picture thinking, and the ability to not stress over risk and change. Because fundamentally, we are in the business of change, right? So if we're not able to, to build up our own tolerance and our own capability to move through different circumstances, how are we going to enable other people to effectively do it as well? So yep. great final point there, Tracy. Let's let's uh, end up with uh, how can people follow you? So you're doing a lot of great work out there working with different types of organizations throughout your career. How can people connect and, and follow along and learn more from you after today? Absolutely. You can hit me up on LinkedIn and please feel free to even message. Uh, I will always do a quick 30 minute coffee talk if anybody wants to, to go through. I'm also on Twitter at the Tracy Cantu, like not there as often as I used to be. Um, LinkedIn is more the platform, but you can definitely reach me on both of them. Um, as the kids say these days, the DMs are open. Um, <laughs> that just made me feel so old and I loved it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so please uh, love to chat and love to hear from you. Great offer. And again, thanks so much, Tracy, for sitting down with us today. And thank you to everyone out there for tuning into today's episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to give us a like and follow us over on LinkedIn. You can also check out our entire collection of past in the know episodes on the Exonify YouTube channel. And if audio is more your thing, as the kids would say, I don't think that's a thing anyone says, listen to the podcast version of In the Know with Exonify on your favorite podcast app. And if there's a topic or a guest you'd like to see featured on a future episode, let us know by tagging Exonify on LinkedIn or on Twitter. And be sure to join us in two weeks as we dive into the highly regulated but very exciting world of financial services with Amy Wallace, Vice President of Learning and Development at Members First Federal Credit Union. Amy's going to tell us why it's important to stop thinking about learning in terms of courses and start thinking about it as a campaign. So if you're struggling to keep up with business change, but also want to turn off the training fire hose that's overwhelming employees, join us on Wednesday, August 17th at 11.30 a.m. Eastern to explore campaign-based learning with Amy Wallace. Until then, I've been JD. Now you're in the know. And always remember to ask yourself the important questions. Like if the professor on Gilligan's Island can make a radio out of a coconut, why can't he fix a hole in the darn boat? I'll see you next time.